HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Kotena, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen is kaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Hannah Kirshner, who is the author of Water, Wood, and Wild Things, which just came out on March 23rd of Viking. Hannah has a lot of curious experiences in Japan. For example, she has worked as a bartender as well as a krabito, or a sake brewer's assistant, in the beautiful rural area of Ishikawa Prefecture called Yamanaka. Now she calls it her second home. Her new book is unique. I was impressed by how deeply Hannah immersed herself in traditional Japanese culture and how insightfully she describes it in, describes it in, her, in the book. Also, she captures how the tradition is being revised by the younger generations as well. So today we'll discuss how Hannah got into Japanese culture and ended up living in Japan, the charm of rural Japan like Yamanaka, the area's inspirational artisans she has worked with, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Hannah Kirshner. Hello, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Akiko. I'm so excited to get to be here and talk with you about my first book, Water, Wood, and Wild Things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, actually, uh, first time we met was like five years ago, and I had no idea you're gonna, going to have this kind of exciting experience, which we're going to discuss today. Yeah, I so, guess that must have been just before the first time I came to Yamanaka, because that was about five years ago. Right. <laughs> so, so first of all, for listeners who are not familiar with who you are, so where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up? 
So I grew up in a small town outside Seattle, North Bend, Washington, which some people may know as the town where Twin Peaks was filmed. And um, I grew up on a small farm and actually much like Ishikawa, where I am now, in the Seattle area, we have mountains, farmland and ocean all intersecting. So there's just so many amazing fresh ingredients. So I grew up eating a lot of salmon that's so famous in that area and um, vegetables from our garden, eggs from our chickens, blackberries from our back pasture and things we picked in the woods. Um, and actually a lot of uh, Japanese food, too, because there's a very long history of um, Japanese people in that part of the U.S., too. Right. Yeah, surprisingly, I think about 100 years ago, um, Japanese people started to go to that area for better life. <laughs> yeah, a- exactly. So, like, at the end of the 1800s, actually, the Chinese Exclusion Act made it impossible for Chinese people to keep immigrating to the U.S. And that was right around the time that Japan was opening up its borders to international trade. And so all these young Japanese men came to work in the fishing and lumber industries. And um, Mm. a Japan town in Seattle. And so um, then, you know, it's a complicated history of like, many great things and many terrible things too. The internment of Japanese people during World War II and a lot of them lost the businesses and farms and um, homes that they had had before that. Um, But still, there's so much influence of Japanese culture in Seattle, actually many Asian cultures, but since we're talking about Japan um, and Japanese food, yeah, and the architecture and the gardens and the food. So um, even in my small town of North Bend, Washington, like we had yakisoba and udon in the supermarket. So I grew up with those foods too, but wasn't wow. until much later <laughs> that I started to learn all that history. Right. Okay. So in that environment, so how did you become interested in Japan and Japanese culture uh, one step further? Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, just kind of all around and really has become part of Seattle culture in certain ways. But when I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time in the Kinokuniya bookstore in Seattle. And I was thinking about going to art school, and I spent a lot of time there looking at art books and really fell in love with the artwork of some contemporary Japanese artists like Yoshitomo Nara and Aya Takano. And so then... When I went to art school, I also, like, as an elective, studied Japanese because I figured if my favorite contemporary artists were from Japan, then I, I had better learn the language and go there at some point. Mm, wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, and I heard that you went to Japan for the first time when you were 22 years old. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, that's so right. So I was like, right. So what did you do on your first visit to Japan? Sure. So I had graduated art school a year before, and I was actually uh, working in a bike shop and um, doing bicycle racing at that time. And I I applied for a Fulbright to go to Japan and write a graphic novel about bicycle culture in Japan. And I didn't get the Fulbright, but I was able to save up enough money to go for a month. And I stayed in a house with a bunch of bike messengers and I actually got to meet my favorite artist, Yoshitomo Nara, and I got to go on 
a bike ride with um, a woman who was the national champion of um, cyclocross, that kind of bike racing, and um, was really just immersed in this um, bicycle culture there too and stayed friends over the next decade with um, with the people that I met during that time. Mm, wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it so... was really amazing. And it was so like, I think the stereotype is that, you know, Japan is so impenetrable as an outsider, but my experience was exactly the opposite of that. Right. So, and then after you came back from the trip to Kyoto, you began a new career in New York, um, which probably has led you to write the, your new book. So could you tell us about your pre-Japan career? Yeah. So yeah, in writing this book, all these different strands kind of came together of um, all the different things I've done. So um in Rhode Island, where I went to art school, and then in New York, where I eventually ended up, I was a bartender, a baker, a catering assistant, um, all sorts of things. Well, I was also trying to be a freelance writer. Um, and I always was hoping there was some way to combine my interest in art and food, but I didn't know quite what it was until I discovered food styling, which is preparing the food and making it look beautiful for photos. So like anytime you see an advertisement or a cookbook or anything where there's a photo of food, the, the food stylist and usually an assistant and a prop stylist, maybe a prop stylist assistant have all created that image together with the photographer. Mm, wow. Okay. And uh, also, um, so eventually though, you so you went to uh, Yamanaka. Uh, since two, 2015, you have spent a lot of time in Yamanaka. Uh, it's a small town facing the sea of Japan. And uh, so I don't think uh, people find Yamanaka randomly. <laughs> so what led you to Yamanaka? So one of those bike messengers from that first trip to Kyoto um, told me, had he'd been telling me about Yamanaka for years. He had actually become a bicycle tour guide leading tour groups in Ishikawa and he was telling me about this magical mountain town of Yamanaka and that I had to go there. Um, but, you know, by then I was busy with my food styling career. I had met the man who would become my husband, who is Japanese and had moved to the U.S. because he didn't want to live in Japan. <laughs> so I was still really interested in returning to Japan and even living there, but I didn't know quite how that would work out. Um, but my friend told me about this bar owner in Yamanaka Yusuke Shimoki, and um, that uh, Shimoki-san really wanted to come to New York, and could I host him? So, you know, Takuya had hosted me in Kyoto years before, so of course I would host his friend. Um, meanwhile, I believe he had told uh, Shimoki-san that his friends in New York really wanted to meet him, and could he go to New York to meet his friends? So it was a, <laughs> a little bit of a setup, and, but it were, all worked out. Shimoki-san showed up at my doorstep with two big suitcases that were mostly full of sake and glassware and wooden cups from Yamanaka. And we had a dinner party while he was there. And he like he pulled out his certificate of expertise that he was so proud of. And he basically put on his whole bar uniform and... Um, was just like so enthusiastically serving the sake that even our friends who spoke no Japanese were just like enthralled with it. Um, and he <laughs> had on this apron that, uh, you know, is like the classic Japanese maikake, the um, 
uh, indigo blue apron with the fringe and the orange and white and uh, navy waist tie and his bars insignia was printed on the front, which is this great logo. Um, and I asked him where I could get an apron like that. And he said, I would have to come work in his bar. And I said, okay. And he said, well, you have to come for two months. And I said, okay. And uh, <laughs> it became a plan. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up in Yamanaka working oh in uh, Shimoki Sun's bar, like maybe three months after that dinner party. But, oh, you wow. know, I, I knew I wanted to, I was really interested in writing more about Japan and Japanese food in particular. And I thought that working in the bar would open doors. I wasn't sure which ones, but it just seemed like such an unusual and special opportunity to get to learn about sake and and therefore also more about Japanese cuisine. Mm, wow. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a combination of different, um, I don't know, maybe it's a destiny or just a coincidence um, I know so many different other. things like the, you know, the connection because of the bike, bicycle racing and then like the bartending skills that made it so I could work in his bar. Yeah, just a lot of different things coming together. Right. <laughs> okay, so uh, so for listeners who are not familiar with the town of Yamanaka, could you describe what it is like? Sure. So, so Ishikawa Prefecture is on the Sea of Japan side and... Um, Yamanaka is like from the coast up into the mountains, about maybe 30 minutes from the coast. Yamanaka means in the mountains, and it really is. It's a hot spring town with about 1,300 years of history. So even though it's very geographically isolated, um, the hot spring used to be a place where um, monks would come on a pilgrimage, uh, sailors would come in from you know, they'd been on the merchant ships going up and down the coast, and then they would come in for their rest period, like for a few weeks to relax at the onsen. Um, the famous poet Basho came and wrote a poem about Yamanaka. So, um, yeah, it has this very long history and, and a lot of uh, interesting culture because of the hot spring. Mm, wow. So, um yeah, it's a, if you think of Japan as high-tech, whatever, like in Tokyo, Yamanaka seems to be completely another country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so many people think of Japan as like Tokyo, but that's like thinking that New York is the U.S. I mean, New York is part of the U.S., but there are so many places in the U.S. with very different cultures than New York. And yeah, of course, um, Japan is the same way, so... Um, there are so many little towns and rural places all over that have very, very different life than than uh, Tokyo or Kyoto even. Right. Yeah, even personally, being Japanese, grew up in Japan, I, when I go to small places, it's just fascinating that almost I never lived in this country. So, yeah, yeah I really, yeah. I really recommend everybody just travels outside Tokyo as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, but staying in this small town like Yamanaka as a stranger sounds very challenging. So um, what was your first impression of Yamanaka and uh, how did you get yourself adopted to the new uh, environment? Actually, people here were so kind from the moment that I arrived. So I will never forget my landlady. Uh, so that while I was apprenticing at the bar, I stayed in an, apart an apartment um, across the street. 
And that very first night, my landlady had left bread and coffee for me so that I would have some breakfast in the morning and something that, you know, in case I was homesick. Um, and oh, then the next sweet. day, <laughs> I know, so sweet, so sweet. So that just so many little kindnesses like that. Then the next day, I met Mika Horie, who's a paper artist, and um, she makes uh, washi. Japanese paper from gampi, which are these uh, shrubs that grow in the mountain. And then she prints her photographs of, on them in the sunlight um, using cyanotype printing. So uh, Shimoki-san, the bar bartender, introduced me to Mika so that she could be my Japanese tutor while I was there. But we're the same age. We're both artists. And so we just very quickly became really good friends. We would go to the onsen together almost every day. I mean, just the other day we were at the onsen and we talked so long, we both almost passed out from the heat. So <laughs> I should probably actually describe a little bit what the onsen is for people who aren't familiar. So, mm, I mean, sure. onsen mean, means hot spring. And um, in Yamanaka, the, there's a public bath. So like sento or public baths used to be really popular all over Japan. A lot of people did not have a bath or shower in their house and these days, that's not so common. Like, even, there are still sento, but most most people have a bath or shower at home. But in Yamanaka, the onsen is not only like uh, a tourist destination. People come here to be able to soak in the onsen and relax, but also very much part of daily life. So most people, many people in the town, bathe there at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, and. Um, and it's sort of the social center of the town, too. It's like where you catch up with your neighbors and friends. And yeah, so it's very important to the life here. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Right? Can you think of any better place? Because uh, in Japanese, there is a phrase, hadaka no tsukiai. So if you say like a relationship uh, as you're naked, that means that we live deeper uh, relationship oh. than otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it can be a little bit um, awkward if you're not used to it, like running into like, you know, the person, the, the clerk from the convenience store or my landlady or something when you're <laughs> naked taking a bath. But pretty soon you just don't even notice anymore. Right. Well, that's a really uh, very democratic idea of being connected with other people, right? Because if you're naked, mm. you're just naked. I'm the same yeah. human being. So, <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, and uh, so that um, I heard that the Yamanaka residents are mostly small business owners, artists, and craftsmen. So where do they come from and uh, what type of work are they engaged in? Sure. So another person that I met early on when I was in Yamanaka working in Shimoki's bar was um, Takehito Nakashima, who's a woodturner, and he makes these exquisite wooden cups and bowls which, um, you know, a lot of the time Japanese lacquerware has that really opaque red or black coating. It's like almost looks like plastic. It's so perfect. But uh, Yamanaka is famous for a style of wood turning called Yamanaka Shiki, where um, typically uh, it really emphasizes the wood grain and it'll have a translucent lacquer so that um, you can still see the wood grain. So I, I met Nakashima-san when I was um, in the bar and drinking from a cup that he had made specifically for the local sake because the sake bar owner is his, um, well, classmate, I guess, is the translation, but the same age, I, you know, 
uh, as you know, in Japan, that sort of idea of being the same year in school has a lot of significance um, for for uh, friendships and relationships. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, so Yamanakashiki is the style of lacquerware there, and there's a wood-turning school. So young people actually come from all over Japan to study woodworking here in Yamanaka. Um, so there are both artisans that grew up here, like Nakashima-san, and then um, young people coming to learn the craft, and a lot of them stay here. But um, uh, So, yeah, it's this very traditional craft, but at the same time, like Nakashima, for example... Well, the way he explained it to me is that tradition is not something that just came from the past. Tradition is something that we're always making. So he's hoping to make the forms now that will be considered traditional 100 years from now. Mm, that is so well said, right? We don't realize, but we are creating the tradition. Um, yeah, so um, is it the movement that younger generations tend to try to rediscover old crafts and uh, that's why they go back to Yamanaka place like go to you know place like Yamanaka because they got curious yeah I think so and I think a lot of people are uh, younger people are drawn here too who are like interested in learning farming or interested in living a life where um, they're more connected to nature more connected to where their food comes from doing work with their hands that sort of thing it's not enough to like, I mean, rural Japan is still becoming depopulated and, and Yamanaka is no exception. But um, but I don't know. It's very interesting. Like, I definitely think there's some something happening with, with uh, young younger people finding the appeal of a rural life. Right. Yeah. One time I went to uh, really in the middle of nowhere in Nara and uh it was just when I was on vacation, but I was recruited by, uh, you know, younger kids there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you like to uh, live with us so that we can revive the whole village? Like, wow. <laughs> and I'm a writer, so you can write anywhere, right? <laughs> so, okay, I'll think about it. Wow. So there are so many um, movements like that, uh, I think, yeah. happening throughout the country. Definitely, yeah. throughout the world. Yeah, I hope, right? It's a good yeah. thing. So, yeah. all right. So uh, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will uh, talk about Autism's Hannah Met uh, in Yamanaka and the uh, experience she worked for them. So please stay with us. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat and it's more sustainable just egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions most importantly it's delicious for our listeners who operate a food service establishment you can get a sample for free 
head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese. I'm your host, Aki Katema, and my guest today is Hannah Kirshner, who is the author of Water, Wood, and White Things, which just came out on March 23rd from Viking. So let's talk about your book more specifically. So um, your fascinating book uh, just came out, as I said, on March 23rd. And again, the title is Water, Wood, and White Things. And the book is truly absorbing. And the text is very smoothly and poetically written, I thought. So, 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 it's illustrated by yourself, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you're an artist. So, so what is the theme of the book and、uh, why did you decide to write the book?、Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, I was really interested in writing about Japanese food, but I felt like To write about food, I wanted to write about how all the things got to the table from the, the tableware to the ingredients to the charcoal for grilling the food, everything. I was the sake. I wanted to know how it was made and, and show how these things were not just like、uh, isolated crafts, but part of a culture and a community. So, like, There's amazing artisans all over Japan, and I could have traveled all around meeting different artisans and working with them and learning from them. But what I really wanted to do was go very deep into one place. And since I already had that incredible introduction into Yamanaka,、um, that's, that's what I decided to do.、Mm, right. And, and the, there are four themes in the books that's water, wood, wild things, and cultivation. So, why did you pick these four? So, those are really the things that define Yamanaka. And those are the names of the sections in the book. And then in each of those sections water, wood, wild things, and cultivation、um, I found different artisans, farmers, hunters,、um, artists, and、um, spent months or in some cases years learning from them. So,、um, I felt like you really experience, like when you experience something yourself, you understand it on a much deeper level. And also, that if I could spend time with people, not just like one or two interviews, but like spending time with them just in the environment of their work, that I would learn their character and, and like their ideas in such a deeper way than,、um, than I could any other way. So, like、uh, Nakashima san, the woodturner I mentioned. Invited me to、um, learn how to make wooden cups in his, and bowls in his studio. And、um, then Moriguchi san, who's,、uh, he makes these wooden 
trays called Wagatabon, which is a craft that was actually almost entirely lost, and he revived it. Um, I was his assistant for a season, and I um, learned how to grow rice. I followed mountain masters into the forest and harvested wild vegetables with them. Uh, and I worked in a sake brewery. So, you know, it start, I worked in a sake bar, but then I also walked, worked in a sake brewery um, here, too. <laughs> so I could go on and on. I well, mean, there are 15 chapters each about well, a different amazing person and their work. Yeah. I mean, your book, um, you know, like, I just opened just to see what's inside just before I do any preparation for the show. And then I was, like, absorbed. I was like, before I knew it, I was into like 30 minutes into the book. So, yeah, it's amazing. And you're really good at writing. Um, of course, you used to write professionally, too. So, but so, but I'm curious, how did you get all those, um, you know, jobs? Because you can't just say, hi, can I work for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah. So, you know, a few of the opportunities came up organically just through um, meeting people in the bar and them inviting me to learn about their work. But um, once I had sort of the idea of the structure of the book in mind and I, I knew what kinds of things I wanted to include, then I needed to seek those people out and, uh, yeah, get them to trust me enough to let me join their work. So it kind of depended on the person, like, I guess, like, how old they were and uh, how, like, whether they were the friend of a close friend or something like that, the approach was sometimes different. Like uh, I had a very formal letter that um, my, my Japanese is not good enough to like write a formal letter. So my husband helped me draft this formal letter that I could sort of um, explain what I was doing. Then it was for a book and that I wanted to learn their work by, by um, apprenticing to or working for them. And that like, I knew that that was an imposition, but I hoped that I could also, if there's any way I could be helpful, like doing, you know, doing something for their work that was helpful, that I was happy to do that, um, that I, I really wanted to participate as much as possible. And also a lot of drinking, a lot of uh, going out with somebody <laughs> and having drinks and, and uh, just like getting to know them and letting them get to know me before they, they committed to um, working right. with me. But in a lot of cases, mm. like somebody would let me come along for a day as sort of a test. And then a day turned into a week, turned into months, turned into a year. Mm. Well, that's just proof that you're a good worker and a good person. Um, okay. So, uh, and in an interview I read about your book, you said the people you met in Yamanaka have different attitudes towards work. Uh, from others like Americans in general. So what is the difference? I mean, one thing that really struck me, even just at first when I was working in the sake bar, was how he put so much care and attention into every aspect of his work, even the things that were not glamorous, not that interesting. Um, I mean, normally he works by himself, and so he does everything, whether it's, you know, picking the perfect cup to serve a sake in or cleaning the bathroom. It's all just as important. And um, I saw that again and again, like in, uh, I took tea ceremony lessons. I'm continuing to take them actually. And, um, you know, there's a procedure for 
preparing before the guests arrive and cleaning up after they've finished their tea that the guests will never see, but it's it's also still important. Or in the sake brewery where, um, you know, the boss is just is doing the the labor right along with everybody else. So uh, that really impressed right. me and made me think about how I could put more care into my like all the parts of my work too. Still working on that mm. though. Hey. <laughs> right. Well, that's the whole point, right? It's, it's never ending. There's right, no exactly, perfect state. Exactly. Right. It's approaching yeah, so work as a path of, of lifelong learning. Mm, as well. yeah. Right. And anything like oh, Japan is such a small country. So once we got some new technology or something, we tried to make it a little better, better. And it's, there's a tiny little room to improve. We can't miss it. We just try to fill the void. So that's the Japanese mindset, I think. Um, yeah, so, okay. And uh, so the book includes recipes that are deeply rooted in Yamanaka's culture. So could you give us some examples of the recipes and the stories behind them? Sure. Well, actually, just today, I went out and I picked hawasabi, the wasabi leaves. So wasabi only the roots of wasabi take a long time to grow years and only grow well in really clean cold water but the plants can actually thrive um, like along ravines and even in gardens Um, so um, even in places where the root won't grow well the the greens do and one of my favorite things at this time of year is you pick the greens and um, and uh, preserve them with soy sauce so I did that today. Oh. It's such a nice little snack to have with a drink or like as part of a meal with rice and miso soup. Um, yeah. Or I was thinking right. it would be really good to serve over like some cold tofu too. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, because even if it's a leaf, you have like spiciness, right? Yeah, it has it's the like wasabi flavor. Yeah, it's like a little tender leaf and stem, but with the same flavor of wasabi wasabi, and then um, pickled in soy sauce. A lot of places they also pickle it in um, sake kasu, but around here soy sauce is the more popular way to preserve the um, mm. wasabi leaves. So, right. Yeah. So the recipes, you know, obviously that's one that would not be so easy for people <laughs> to make at home in the U.S. And like, I mean, I guess you can plan ahead and, and uh, plant some wasabi in your garden and make it next year but um but uh there are some recipes like for um karaage fried chicken or onigiri rice balls that would be very easy for people to make and kind of bring a little bit of yamanaka home but um but then other recipes are really there much more for like storytelling or for documenting the local culture and hopefully people will find those interesting even if they aren't able to make them Mm. Right. Okay. And uh, also, so when you think of Japan, we think of big cities like Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, but yeah. you have a unique vantage point to Japanese culture because you now belong to Yamanaka. I think I can say that. So how do you describe the difference between large cities and Yamanaka? Oh, oh, that's, there's so many subtle things. I mean, one thing for sure uh, um, it's just the pace of life is different. Um, 
And I think also, like in Japan, there's really this strong idea of being connected to the seasons and food changing with the seasons and like all these little ways that you observe the changes in the seasons. But for people living in Tokyo or a big city, those are really more symbolic. But in Yamanaka, they're actually truly part of your life because you're actually in nature seeing the change in the seasons.、Um, and You know, a lot of people here, even though it's a small town, still sort of live their life like a city person. <laughs> They're not necessarily that connected to nature, but there are more people who do still like gather sunset mountain vegetables in the spring, or,、um, you know, there are people practicing all these、um, traditional crafts here. And,、um, But, you know, as I mentioned, traditional is kind of a tricky word because it's actually something that's always changing. And it's not like these artisans are stuck in the past and like only doing things some old fashioned way. Like they're, they're, they're also living in the present, living modern lives and trying to figure out how to make their craft relevant so that it continues.、Mm, right. I want to quickly go back to, you know, your. Uh, apprenticeship, I would say.、Um, sure. So, pick one or two,、um, you know, the skills you learned from all those experts. And what, what, how was, like, was it like? And how, what did you learn from those people? Sure. So, I mentioned Moriguchi, the Wagata bond maker. So,、um, he's actually a sculptor from Kyoto who heard about this craft. Called wagatabon, which are these wooden, tra wooden trays carved from a single piece of wood、um, while it's still green or、um, like young, like it hasn't been dried or cured. And they're chiseled with like these lines going, these ridges going across the tray. And he, he actually discovered it because somebody who had been part of the Minge folk, folk crafts movement、uh, told him his sculptures looked like wagatabon. And so he went, he came to Yamanaka in search of Wagatabon to learn about them, but nobody was making it anymore. They were, the reason they're called Wagatabon is because they're from this village called Wagatani,、um, which was like up、uh, further in the mountains from Yamanaka. And in, I think, the 50s or 60s, a dam was built and the village was flooded. And supposedly people, Didn't think these trays were even valuable, and you could see them floating on the water, like above the old village after the town had been flooded and everybody had moved down into Yamanaka. But、um, Moriguchi san has revived the craft in this little woodland atelier that he has. And so I would go every weekend, and、um, I, supposedly I was his assistant, but really I was more his student. So I would help him with some things, like maybe like.、Um, Staining the trays with、uh, kurishibu, which is、um, like chestnut tannin that makes the wood turn kind of like a grayish, weathered color, or、um, you know, tidying up the workshop. But mostly he was teaching me to make these trays. And、um, the thing that's most memorable about it to me is how, how much of the communication was.、Uh, Nonverbal. So much of it was about like him teaching me, first, first of all, me learning by simply just like watching what he was doing rather than what he was telling me to do,、um, which is how a lot of apprenticeships work. And the other was that he really encouraged me to listen to the wood and the tools and 
and um, not try to just impose my idea, but to like learn from how the materials want to be used. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so, well, <laughs> I have to look up Wagatabong, uh, uh, right? Yeah. And, uh, right, and also you, you know, I'm just now curious that you worked for, you know, at uh, the bar for two months. Yeah. With, uh, right? And it's just a small town, and people, sounds like people communicate differently uh, than, like, places like Tokyo or, you know, like New York. So how was that the bar culture, including um, the skill sets of the bartender, uh, your new friend, I forgot his name. <laughs> Shimoki. Um, Shimoki. Yeah, Shimoki-san, yeah. So... so- yeah, so tell us about that. The bar culture? Um, yeah. I, I mean, what was so wonderful about working in the bar is that, like, a bar can really be a community center, right? So he is known for being so passionate about sake, and people will come from Tokyo or Osaka who love sake to, to drink in his bar and, um, uh, you know, really kind of pilgrimage here for that. But... Also, like, his friends would come in after their soccer game or my neighbor in her 80s would come in once a week and have a whiskey, a beer, and a sake. And um, uh, and then, you know, all these craftsmen would come in. So it was really a way that I was able to be immersed in the community really quickly. And I think another thing that's distinct about small town life is it's true anywhere that that opportunities happen um because of connections um or relationships but i think it's especially true here so like um the only reason that the sake brewer decided to let me come work in his sake brewery was because the wood turner who was his friend had vouched for me and so a, a lot of things happened that way it was like somebody else said I was okay. So then the next person trusted me and decided to open up their work to me too. Mm. Wow. Well, what's the population of Yamanaka? It sounds very small, right? I think it's 8,000. Oh, wow. And that includes like all the outer villages too. Oh, wow. So that's really kind of isolated in nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. And uh, I really want to know also that... uh, I heard you you worked at the sake brewery for two winters, including just this one. So why and how did you get the job and how was the experience actually working at the sake brewery? So I started working there for research for my book and then ended up coming back and working there after the book was done. I came back to Yamanaka last fall and... um, and he asked me to come back and I was so flattered and so excited because I felt like, oh my gosh, I didn't just get in the way. Like I actually made myself helpful there enough that they would want me back. Um, but that was, yeah, I mean, I, you, uh, it's been pointed out to me that in the book, it seems like every single thing that I try, I get so excited about that I think that like I want to do that for the rest of my life, whether it's wood turning or carving Wagatabon or whatever. But um the the sake brewery was work I really felt like oh yeah I could I would like to continue to do this um 
is such a combination of like artistry and poetry and science and uh, spirituality and technology, like all kind of mingled. And um, it's very beautiful. Like every morning when I walk in, um, the rice is already steaming and the steam is coming up in front of the window and the light is coming through the steam and like the um, muslin cloths that are were for like covering the washed rice and reflecting off of the water that's spilling across the floor and there's like the fragrance of sake brewing and koji and it's just a very beautiful environment. Mm, right and also it's a very seasonal so people right. have full energy in, into it. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's very um, intense for the winter season, but almost everybody who works there has um, another job. Like there's a carpenter, there's uh, a lumberjack, uh, there's a farmer. So I, I like the idea of being a seasonal sake brewer and writer. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Right. Um, so the, how many sake breweries in Yamanaka? Just That's one? the one. That's the one. Yeah. So it was a pretty clear okay. choice of, of where I wanted to work to get to write about sake. Yeah. Right. Okay. So can we buy a uh, sake you helped to make? You have to come to Japan to buy it at this point. So um, uh, okay. yeah, something to look forward to when borders open back up. But there's actually a lot of sake from Ishikawa that is available in the U.S. Like um, uh, Tedorigawa and Tengumai. And yeah, I know at least those two are mm. in the U.S. And, mm, and they're delicious. Right. Yeah. Okay, so um, now I'm just curious, what are your plans for the future? Because you, now you're living in, in Yamanaka at this moment. Yeah. So, so what's happening? So, um, you know, my husband's work has kept him in New York most of the time that I've been here. So we've had to go back and forth to visit each other and... Uh, we don't want to do that indefinitely, but we actually got uh, an old farmhouse in Yamanaka, a kominka, that uh, our plan is to renovate. So, um, yeah, if people are interested in knowing more about that story, I wrote about it on Food 52 recently. Um, but my okay. idea is to kind of make it into an echo house, an echo minka. And, uh, but in so many ways, like these old houses in Japan really are already very ecological and designed to suit this environment made from local materials. So there's a lot to learn from the house itself as, as I begin to renovate it. Right. Well, the Kominka is just now, it's kind of a uh, booming in Japan yeah. to revive the yeah. right old classic housing and actually i visited my uh, high school teacher in nagano and i oh. stayed at her kominka it's so beautifully renovated wow. and uh you know functionally those places like a bathroom the things this all you know the automatic toilet <laughs> those oh. things. and uh, it's fascinating I, I i'm so glad you're doing it and i i hope i can come and visit you when you yeah. get done with the renovation I hope so too. I hope so too. So, and it is, yeah, like you said, I think it's part right. of the same thing as like young people in Japan getting interested in, in like farming and traditional crafts and um, yeah, like appreciating old houses too. So. 
Right. Are there many available in Yamanaka area? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, well, I mean any rural area, I mean, it's very kind of sad because um, rural areas are becoming so depo- depopulated. Um, so many people have moved to the cities and the population of these rural areas is aging. So like, like my house that I got here in my neighborhood, all my neighbors are elderly. Like there's not w- one young person in my neighborhood. Mm. Oh. Right. So, well, it's important that younger generations go and we discover how important it is. Yeah, like, and it's um, exciting to see that happening to some extent. Right. So, listeners, maybe you can look up Yamanaka Kominka real estate market. And <laughs> yeah, become Mahana's neighbor. Um, yeah, but I'm just, you know, your husband um, is a Japanese man. Right. You said uh, you met, you guys met in 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 New York, but yeah, he kind of escaped to New York because he didn't like Japan so much. So, how did the America change his view to Japan? It really did because, like you, he grew up in Tokyo and he left kind of at the end of the economic bubble. And um, the way he describes it, I mean, he just really did not like the materialism of that era, and. Um, also, he's an artist, and and so you know he first actually lived in Ohio, and then eventually came to New York. Um, but yeah, Yamanaka is a totally different part of Japan than than what he'd ever experienced before, and um, he's kind of fallen in love with it too. And just like, also, just so many great people here through through the course of of writing my book, um, you know, all these apprenticeships and jobs and 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 trailing people in their work like almost everybody became um a really good friend too and um really it's kind of amazing like how much they have embraced me and and my husband too and so um I think that the the community here and then just the beautiful nature which um, actually reminds me so much of my home in the Pacific Northwest where I grew up, all the ferns and moss and beautiful trees. So I don't know. I guess, I mean, after a long time in New York, maybe he's ready for a little bit slower life eventually too. Mm, right. Oh, that's amazing. You inspired a lot of people through your experience uh, in Yamanaka, so, including myself. So thank yeah. you for writing the great book. So uh, so where can we buy your book, Water, Wood, and the Wild Things? Anywhere that you like to buy books, whether it's um, your local bookstore or a big online retailer, it, it should be available wherever you like to buy books. Okay. All right. So, again, I really love your illustrations. They're so cute oh, and available. Yeah. Um, okay. So, finally, where can we find your updates online and social media? Sure. Um, my website is my name, hannahkirshner.com. And on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at sweets and bitters. That's at sweets, the letter N, bitters. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I hope to come and see you after all those COVID. I get vaccinated fully and, you know, ready for yeah. traveling. Yeah, I'll I, hurry up. Who's my house ready. <laughs> I've got a lot, <laughs> a lot of work to do. Right. 
Yeah, the Yamanaka, I mean, for listeners who've never been to the Ishikawa Prefecture, it's pretty quick because now a bit of train, Shinkansen is running from Tokyo and it takes like less than three hours, like two and a half hours. Yeah, so, about three hours to Kanazawa and then and then another hour or so to get to Yamanaka on a local train or bus. But, um, but actually, the Shinkansen is going to be extended to Yamanaka uh, not to Yamanaka, but to Kaga Onsen, which is the nearest train station to Yamanaka, I think, in maybe 2026. So it's going to wow. get even easier to get here. Right. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us so late at night today. Oh, it's really fun. It's really fun to get to talk to you. So thank you so much. Okay, and uh, good luck with everything. Okay, thank you, Akiko. Well, I was going to say good night, but it's good morning to you and good night to me. <laughs> have a great day. You too. Thanks, Anna. Oh, thank so, listeners, you. if you have, thank you, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese@heritageradionetwork.org or akikoatema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at Heritage Radio Network. Uh, org as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. I'm Jenny's Aman Wang, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.